So please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. We're going to see what it means to set our minds on the Spirit. Set our minds on the Spirit, how our thinking affects our living in Christ, how God uses our minds for gospel purposes, and how Christians are to be preoccupied with what the Spirit of God is preoccupied with in order to please God. The idea here is that we're to love Jesus so much that we get really preoccupied with, and we even crave the things that God is preoccupied with. So if you're able, I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. We always want to glorify God as we hear and do God's word I like to remind you that it is uh, it's perfect, it's sufficient, it is inerrant and infallible and inspired by God. So I'm going to start, I'm actually going to read Romans 8, 1 through 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his Son in the likeness of of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And Lord, I pray that as we experience you together, we would worship you with all our hearts, that we would be awestruck and and overjoyed in your presence, that we would rejoice in you and who you are and what you do. Pray that you, by your grace, would, would uh, grant me to encourage and, and exhort all who hear these words to, to trust and obey you. And I pray I would preach your word faithfully and accurately, and I pray that much would be made of Christ. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. So I'm loving Romans. I hope you're loving Romans too. Romans is an amazing letter. It's, it's, it's got so much in it. It explains uh, the gospel. It explains the gospel truth and how uh, the gospel changes hearts. And Paul is writing to a group of people he had never met. And, and he, he's basically telling them, you need to know the gospel. You need to rest in the gospel. You need to rejoice in the gospel. You need to live the gospel. And we're in Romans 8, and, and it tells us right off the bat, it makes this you know, magnanimous, magnificent you know, declaration that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That a Christian is no longer condemned by their sin, but they're set free in Christ to serve him. And, and that really, that promise, that assurance is what starts all of, of Romans 8 going and it tells us, the promise is there's no condemnation. So you can bank on that. 
And the people that's being referred to are those who are justified in Christ, those who are believers in Jesus, those who have trusted in his finished work on the cross. But then what you see from here on out is this process, this process of growth in Christ, this process of, of really lifelong life change by the Spirit of God. How the third person of the Trinity transforms people, how, how, how God works in a believer's life to make them more like Christ. That's the rest of chapter 8. And the point of this passage of Scripture here, set in its context, and remember the context, it's how God grows Christians in Christ, how God makes Christians holy, um, how he makes us like Christ by his Spirit, through his word, and he changes and transforms people. In that context, the point of this passage is that Christians are to be preoccupied with the things that God is preoccupied with if we want to please God. That we should ought to be craving the things that, that God loves. That we are to be so preoccupied with what the Spirit is preoccupied with, that our lives please God. Now, here's the way God's wrapped it all up. He's wrapped that up in, in life that is tough, that is painful, that is, we, we deal with sin, we battle sin, and we're, we're forgiven of our sins as believers. If you're a Christian, you're, you're forgiven of your sins, you're not under condemnation, but you are battling your sinful tendencies and you are going through some of the misery of those sinful tendencies. And, and we know we live in a world of sin and death. We are living in bodies that are affected by sin and death. We, are, we have minds that are affected by sin and death. We live in a, war, in a, in a, in a world that, that of, of wars and rumors of wars. We live in a world where uh, you look around and there's massive inequality. You look around and there's you know, abject suffering. People are suffering. And, 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 and especially because we live in America, there's excessive consumption. In fact, on July 1st, a billion dollars was committed to something. A billion dollars on July 1st. This is, this is, this is our first world you know, issues here. A billion dollars was committed on the first day of NBA free agency to pay men to play basketball. A billion dollars. At the same time, and you can point out things in your own life where you're like excessively consumptive, and I get it, but this is at the same time where people are starving, where, where pundits are arguing about all sorts of things, where problems are persisting in our own hearts, and our own lives, throughout our communities and in the world, not to mention our own homes. And at the same time, people are, are going to hell in a handbasket. At the same time, people are going to hell, dying without Christ. And, and at the same time, we are, we're planning our lives and we're, we're playing a lot. I mean, American Christians, you know, we, we, we are right, sucked right into the vortex of, of excessive consumption and we're thinking about our next vacation or our next entertainment or our next house that we're going to buy or the next pleasurable thing we're going to experience and we understand the struggle 
And so while we play and plan, nations are raging, kingdoms are tottering, and the sovereign king of the universe is saving souls. Jesus saves. The sovereign king of the universe is continuing to save and grow souls all in the midst of that. And if you're a Christian today, God is in the midst of growing your soul. Jesus saves. And, and believers are to be engaged in the process, in, in the battle for souls. But what happens to us? What happens to us? You know, when you first become a believer, you're, you're so excited. You want to tell everyone about Jesus. And then as time goes on, you, you run into people who are so excited and want to tell everyone about Jesus, and you think they're weird, right? You're like, oh, you know, I, I don't subscribe to that kind of evangelism. And what happens is we get distracted from our true calling and we get preoccupied with other things. And we even crave those other things. And our hearts and our minds get drawn off point by a myriad of things. And we are left defeated and we are left ineffective. And I don't know any believer who, who doesn't want to know how to live the Christian life victoriously. But it's not just for us to you know, have a good life. It's not just for us to be comfortable. Uh, it, to, to live the Christian life victoriously, you've got to set your mind on the Spirit of God. You've got to crave the, Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You've got to be preoccupied with what God is preoccupied with. We need to figure that out. What is God preoccupied with? Following Jesus is all about uh, your mind, your will, and your heart. All of you for all of him. And, and life change happens in Christ by the Spirit through the gospel. And, and in this process, in this process that every Christian is involved in, there are three interrelated questions. I brought these up last week that, that every Christian is asking in, in one way or another. Anchored in God's grace in Christ, rooted in the word of God. And, and the first question we looked at last week is, okay, okay, since I'm uncondemned now, what is now true about me? What is now true about me? We saw three unchanging truths about us. One, we're freed from slavery to sin. Romans has made that point over and over again. We should have that. And two, you've been died for. Christ died in your place. Romans has made that point over and over again. And the third point is, okay, now, because that has happened, you can actually now obey God. You couldn't before. You couldn't before you were a believer. But now, because you have the Spirit of God, you can actually obey God. And so building on this, we're getting into Romans 8, verses 5, really to verse 13. We're going to look up to verse 8 today. Next week, we'll look at 9 through 13. But it answers the question, okay, since all those things are true about me, how does faith in Christ actually lead to change in my life? How does it happen? And we see today that change comes as we set our minds on the Spirit of God. So verses 5 through 8, it's about setting the mind on the Spirit. Next week, we'll look at verses 9 through 13 about the indwelling Spirit and what happens because the Spirit indwells us. And then there's the third question that really Romans 8, 14 to 39 addresses, which is, okay, but how do I really, really know if I have eternal life? 
And that's really what the rest of the chapter, beginning at verse 14, addresses. But looking here at these verses we're looking at today, uh, the umbrella idea is of setting the mind on the spirit. And, and the way it gets presented is by describing five differences between unbelievers and believers. Five differences between those in Christ and those not in Christ. Okay, So you see this starting at verse 5. We're going to begin there. Start at verse 5. We see that our minds matter. When it comes to being in Christ, your mind actually matters a lot. What you set your mind on shows your allegiance. It shows uh, what your life is being shaped to. It, it, it shows your character, even. And, and what happens, what we see is that God, in saving a people for himself, enables us to set our minds on what matters to him. That's what we're we're being called to do over and over again. So let's look at verse 5. Then the first con- contrast is a big, big contrast, okay? It's that the mind is set, well, they're all big contrasts, okay? Uh, but the mindset on the flesh versus the mindset on the spirit. So diametrically opposed mindsets. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So we're talking here about the default position of your mind, your, the basic orientation of your mind, uh, your worldview, your disposition, your, uh, the all-encompassing emotions even, that your desires, uh, your thought processes, and, and really the direction of your will. What do you really, really want? So this is not just a mental process of thinking. It's not just that it's the basic direction of your will, what you really, really want. And an unbeliever's default disposition of the will is to satisfy the desires of the flesh. It's the animal instinct. So those who, who live according to the flesh are, are occupied, preoccupied with satisfying the desires of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, this is all believers, they're literally spiritually minded that's describing a Christian, they set their minds. Their minds are set on the things of the Spirit. Okay, so the Greek word for set the mind is phroneo. Okay, phroneo. It's used 26 times in the New Testament in 20 different verses. I will just give you a little sampling of them here. Okay? So Matthew, let's start with Matthew 16, verse 23, where the setting is where Peter is telling Jesus, no, you shouldn't go to the cross. You know, that's too painful, too messy. Okay? Jesus answers, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Okay, so someone telling Jesus not to go to the cross, not to die for us, that's setting the mind on the flesh, okay? Romans 11, you look at Romans eleven twenty. we're told to not be conceited, same word, okay? So that your mind shouldn't have puffed up ideas about you and tiny little ideas about God. Romans 12, 3, he says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, same word, for set the mind, but to think so as to have sound judgment. If God has allotted to each one a measure of faith. Get over into Philippians chapter 2, and he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same word. Okay, set your mind, your mindset, your preoccupation 
should be on maintaining the same love in Christ, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, one gospel purpose. And he says in verse five, Philippians 2, 5, have this attitude, set your mind just like Christ's mind was set. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then in, in Philippians 3, verse 15, he says, have this attitude, same word, setting your mind, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God's going to reveal that to you. He's going to convict you of that. And then he describes in Philippians 3.19, a group of people whose, he says, their end is destruction, their God is their appetite, their glory is in their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. Same idea. So you got this contrast back and forth, back and forth. So for a Christian, the process of life change, uh, the process of even gaining victory over sin, it deals with minding the things of the Spirit, okay? being preoccupied with the things of the Spirit. The King James puts it, mind the Spirit. All right. Now, as a kid, I needed to be reminded very often to mind my manners. Some of you know that terminology because that was told to you as well. You were going over to a friend's house to play or whatever, and your parents said to you, mind your manners, okay? And now for me, I was a little rambunctious, okay? I know it's hard stretch of the imagination there, but it was, I was a little rambunctious. I, I've said this before, but I was often sweaty due to running around all the time and also often in trouble due to not minding my manners, okay? To, to mind your manners in that context meant to you know, be well-behaved, act appropriately, and all that. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. i got to mind my manners. Minding, if you think about this, minding is, is somewhat synonymous with listening to something and doing it, obeying it. So the idea, and my parents were probably saying, is make sure you obey, make sure you do the right thing, make sure you make wise choices so you don't get yourself in trouble and cause disrepute on the family or something like that, right? The idea is remember what you were taught and put it into practice. And, and what it starts with, and I wasn't thinking this when I was a kid, but I'm thinking it now, starts with setting your mind being preoccupied in your mind on the thing you know to do and then doing it, okay? It's a simple idea. It, to mind is a much stronger meaning than just to think about something. It means to be very intently focused on something, to be preoccupied, to be craving. You know what it's like when you crave something. It means to give your full attention to something, to, to give your your, your mind to it so that your mind is actually captured by the thing that you put your mind on. And you know this is true. Everything you think about a lot, your mind gets captured by it. And then your heart gets captured by it. Next thing you know, you're walking towards it. Now this is not, by the way, minding the things of the Spirit is not just thinking about religious things. And it's not just knowing theology. The things of the Spirit, though, it says mind the things of the Spirit. So what it means is, that you are going to pay attention to what the Spirit pays attention to, what is important to the Spirit of God. So to mind the Spirit is to be preoccupied by the things that preoccupy the Spirit of God. In verse 5, when, when it says that the, the one who sets their mind on the Spirit, 
He's explaining something, okay? It's pretty obvious there. It's, it's, he's explaining something. It's a, it's a present active indicative. He's basically saying this is what Christians are like, okay? So he's explaining, but then you get to Colossians 3.1. Go over to Colossians 3.1 with me. It's another usage of the same word, but it's, it's not an explanation. It's actually an exhortation to do something. So Colossians 3, verse 1 It says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now move on to verse 2. Set your minds on the things above. Now that's a present active imperative. That's an exhortation. So it's kind of like this. In Romans 8, 5, Paul is saying, Christians do this. This is what Christians do, okay? But in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is saying, Christians, do this. You need to do this. This is is describing the the normal activity for believers. And it's a strong exhortation to to think and to be preoccupied with, even to crave the things that God is all about. Now, we all know, every one of us knows, we are battling the flesh, okay? Okay? It's not our friend, okay? Your skin isn't bad, your muscles aren't bad, your fingers aren't bad, but you're battling your desires to sin. And and this passage exposes the flesh in a stark reality that, okay, those sinful desires are alien to God and his holy purposes. So they must be uh, not focused upon, and you must focus on something good. Now, those who are just in the flesh, which is code word for not believers, uh, are occupied only with fleshly things, even if they look like they're good, even if you go, no, 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 they're living a good life, their reasoning is going to be bad, their reasoning is going to be, even with common grace, where God just uh, lets the sun shine on on the righteous and the unrighteous, even in that setting, people are still going to be doing things that look good, but not for the right motivation. Think about how hard it is for you to do the right thing for the right motivation. This is about being concerned with craving the things of the Spirit. Well, the unbeliever doesn't grasp or desire to do so. Their mindset is otherwise. Their heart is opposed. And so we're being told that Christians set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You focus on what God does and what he loves. What it means is that your thoughts and your emotions and your will would be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, which means your mind will not be on riches or plenty or greed or lust or fleeting temporary things, but you have to forcibly set your mind on what pleases and honors God. That's why it's a battle. So we are going to be uh, preoccupied with the things of the Spirit of God, or we're going to be preoccupied with our own sinful nature and our own desires. Now the rest of Romans 8 basically tells us what the Spirit is preoccupied about. We see it in the rest of Romans 8, that we're chosen, that we're adopted by God, that we're loved by God, that we're kept in Christ. These are the kind of things we're to be preoccupied about. So that's the first thing you see in this passage. The mindset's on the flesh or the mindset's on the spirit. Okay? And the rest of these are going to flow right, right down the line of there's this huge chasm between the two of unbelievers and believers. Second one is you're either in the realm of spiritual death or of spiritual life. Okay, so these are two columns. You can't have like three of one and two of the other, okay? You, you have five of one or 
five of the other, okay? Um, there are five things here. So spiritual death or spiritual life. Look at verse six. For, the mind, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Okay, so to be thinking this way all the time. Or to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's an assurance here, okay? There is an assurance. You set the mind on. Again, means more than your mental process. It means your focus, your thoughts, your desire, your will. And it's the same root word here in verse 6 that appears in verse 5. But this time it's in a noun form. And the idea is the mind of the sinful man is death. It's talking about an unsaved person. Cut off from God. Dead. Separated from God. Um, the saved, in contrast, enjoy life from God. Okay? So you notice that? To set the mind on the spirit is life. Isn't it true that we, we often get confused about whether someone's a believer or not? They say they are, but they're living like hell. Or hey, uh, they don't say they are, but they're living such a good life, they must be a believer. We shouldn't be confused, by the way, about whether people are saved or not. This is simple, okay? This is clear. This is not confusing. You're either in the realm of death or you're in the realm of life. So what this is saying is the result, though those that are in the flesh are in the the realm of death, the result is death, and they're also dead now. This is like Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in your, your trespasses and your sins. And just the other day, I was doing some work in my yard, and I found a dead rabbit. <laughs> I didn't put it there, okay? And it was there behind some pot, and it was dead. Now, I kind of... Truth be told, I kind of jumped out of the way and made a sound, okay? <laughs> Something like that, okay? With a jump, a jump back. And then I had to go get the shovel, and I had to, you know, scoop it up into a bag. And, you know, it, but here's the thing. It didn't move, ever. I thought it would. I was wondering. But it was pretty obvious it was dead, and it was totally insensitive to anything I was doing to it. It was just getting put in the bag and put in the trash, and now it's far, far away. See, those who are not saved are totally insensitive to God. There is no pulse. They're unable to respond. They're calloused to sin. And here's an interesting thing. The unsaved are calloused to sin, but one day they will be in conscious torment because of their sin. It's 1 Timothy 6, 5. Uh, they are dead e now. They are dead even while they live. But not so the believer. There has been a total reorientation of your life. God has made you alive. Uh, he has caused you to be born again. And now, here's the great thing. If, if you're responsive, like if you hate your sin, that's a sign of life. If you're, if you're like, and I'm depressed over my sin, that's a sign of life. If you're downcast over your sinful nature, that's a sign of life. So, so I know it sounds weird, but seriously, if you are responsive to the things of the Spirit of God, and you want what God wants, and you want to please God, and you know you don't all the time, and you fall and you have to get back up again, you should rejoice and be glad for the pain and the misery that sin brings your heart today because you don't want that in your life. See, if you want it in your life, you got a lot of other problems. You want that in your life? Then maybe you're spiritually dead. See, 
You should rejoice and be glad for the heartache that sin brings in your life because you know how bad it is. See, saved sinners are highly sensitive to sin. You've been rescued from this evil age. Charles Spurgeon said, Here stands a man all guilty. The moment he believes in Christ, his pardon at once he receives, and his sins are no longer his. They are cast into the depths of the sea. And you still struggle with sin. The mindset. Those who are in the flesh, that's code word for fallen human sinful nature apart from God. The unconvicted of their sin. And the Old Testament says the Ethiopian can't change his skin or the leopard his spots. My dog can't change the color of her fur. I can't change the color of my skin. And our hearts are deceitful. We can't make ourselves not sinners anymore. We're either dead or alive. We're either in Christ or we're not. And, and that mindset gets put into us. And then, if you're not a believer, your mindset is the animal instinct. You're bent to sin. You're rut. Your prison, your desires, your deeds, the depravity of your flesh. And if you're not a believer, you can mask it by working really hard to look good. I did that for many years before I became a believer. It doesn't work. Remember the days of the metal trash cans? I, I used to think of this when I was a brand new believer. I was reading Romans, and I, about a year old baby Christian or, or so, and I'm reading Romans, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, in Romans 1, 18, where it talks about uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, I picture a metal trash can with a bunch of fighting, rabid cats. And I'm holding it down, I'm holding the lid down, and they're just fighting and fighting. You lift it up, and you know. And it's like, your sin is going to break out. You might hold it, it's like whack-a-mole, you know. You, 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 you try to hold it down over here, it's going to pop up over here. So I think it's very okay to ask the question of yourself, Am I really a believer? I actually think that's a good question to ask. See, if someone's asking the question, that's a sign of health. If you're wondering if you are, I mean, think about it. For those of you that became a believer like as adults, you never, I never thought, oh, am I a believer or not? Because I wasn't, and I didn't want to be, and I didn't care to be. So Jesus, in the context of, of the flesh, told Nicodemus, you must be born again. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 2 Corinthians 11, 5, both telling us, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Not every single day, okay? Just test yourself as needed. So you got the mindset on the flesh versus the mindset on the spirit. You got spiritual death versus spiritual life. And then third, look at verse seven. Hostility toward God or friendship with God. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. Okay? The opposite of that is being at peace with God. The verse right before that said, mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Your mind is not neutral. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Your mind is not neutral. You are either for God or against God. You either have enmity, hostility, opposition, you're God's enemy, or, or you, you have a mind that wants to do what God wants, that you're controlled by the Spirit, you've got life, you've got peace. And I'm not talking subjective feelings of peace of mind, but objective 
state of peace between you and God. Objective truth here. The Old Testament uses the idea of shalom, given for the, the, the idea of the messianic blessing that would come in Christ that God promises to his people, how God would make an everlasting covenant of peace. Isaiah 54, in a messianic passage about the, the coming Messiah, he says, of, of those that would believe, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. This is, this is Romans 5.1, therefore we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not an internal subjective feeling of calm and security. An external objective fact-based reality. The truth is, God is at war with everyone who refuses to believe in Christ. Because of man's sinful rebellion against him and his laws, those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge. He feels indignation every day. There is no character of God. There is no, there is no attribute of God that is in opposition with any other attribute of God. God is loving and God is righteous. God is just and God is fair. But he is a, a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. This is why Jesus said in John 3.36, whoever does not believe in, in me has the wrath of God remaining on him. What is the, the, the biggest blessing of justification you find out once you come to faith in Christ? Your war with God is over, and you didn't end the war. You might think you did, but God ended the war. He, he declared you free from sin and now dependent on him. You know, we just celebrated Independence Day. And I, and I love to be reminded of how dependent we are humanly on the sacrifices many have made for us. Should never downplay that. But on, on, the, on the cosmic level, on the spiritual level, it, it, it must remind us of how, how dependent we are eternally on Jesus. And how his precious blood was shed in our place and how, how dependent we are on God to, for the ability to do anything. We're talking anything here. And it's because he killed the, the, the enmity, he killed the hostility, and we in Christ are reconciled to God. You got these contrasts, mindset on the flesh, mindset on the spirit, spiritual death, Spiritual life, hostility towards God, friendship with God. And, and number four, still in verse seven, refusing to submit to God's law or yielded to God. Look at verse seven, the end of it. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is important. Okay, a lot of times we're expecting unbelievers to, to show spiritual life and they, they do not have it. The hostility shows itself in the unsaved's attitude towards the law of God, towards the word of God. And the fact that it's the word of God doesn't matter. I remember before I was a believer, I didn't care what the word of God said. I didn't care about obeying it. I wasn't living in the fear of God. And so the unsaved refuses to obey the word of God, lives in active rebellion against God and his will shown in his word. And, and the thing is, they can't receive the word and they won't 
received the word. The things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural, the fleshly person does not accept the thing of the Spirit of God. They, they reject the word of God. They, it's foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to them, and they neither understand nor desire to do what it says, and their mindset is not just a mental process. It's their will against God. That they don't want to obey. There's a hard heart versus a tender heart. There's obstinate opposition to God versus willing submission to God. And I just want to press pause on this for a moment and just say, because there's a lot of people that are very sensitive in their hearts, and they, every time they hear something like this or read something like this in the Bible, they're like, oh no, am I really saved or not? And I just want to say, if you have a tender heart towards God, if you willingly want to submit to him and do what his word says, that is a sign of life, not death. So you shouldn't be questioning your salvation if, you're, if your heart is inclined toward the things of the spirit. If you're actually preoccupied with what God is preoccupied with, if you actually are you know, craving what, what he wants, and it's, it's like you're going to crave God and obey him or crave sin and cave into it. One craving will be satisfied, one will always leave you wanting. I think of the folks of, of Hebrews 11, near the end of that chapter, the others, the others that were, that were just so mistreated because of their faith, they craved God. They, want, they, they desired a city that has foundations, whose builder and architect is God. They, they thought about it, and, and they put their lives on the line because of it. This is like us taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is like us being transformed by the renewing of, of our minds, where, where God transforms us and we want to yield to God. Mindset on the flesh, on the spirit. Spiritual death, spiritual life. Hostility towards God, friendship towards God. Refusing to submit to God or yielded to God. And then verse eight, go to verse eight. There's a fifth thing here, last thing, unable to please God versus obedient to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And in the flesh describes a person who can only operate in the sphere of sinful, unsaved humanity. They're living under the sun, as Ecclesiastes put it. They're not acknowledging God. They're unsaved, unredeemed, unregenerate. And if you're a believer, you're gonna fall into the deeds of the flesh at times, but it will not be the entire trajectory of your life. It won't be the entire pattern of your life because you will never again be described as in the flesh because in the flesh means you're not a believer. Unbelievers cannot please God. They do not have the spirit of God. They cannot will to please God. They are facing death and condemnation from God rightly deserved. And not just future, they have misery now because of their sinful passions. And they don't even know how bad it is. If you're not a believer today, if you're, if you're like, you know, I don't really know. But God is softening your heart and you're like, you know, I, I actually want what you're, what you're saying here. If you're not a believer today, just settle it now. Settle, settle the question forever right now. Yield to Christ. Trust in Christ's finished work to save you from your sin and certain condemnation. If, we're, if you're a believer today, your compass is set. Your resolve is firm. You preach Christ crucified to your own heart and to others. Some people call it foolishness. Some people call it a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, Jesus Christ is the wisdom and power of God to us. So you have these contrasts, they're, they're very stark. And if you're a believer today, you need to know that God actually created you to thrive in a relationship with him and to enjoy him and live in his world with his word. 
And if you know, if you're controlled by your own desires at, at given moments, your life isn't abundant as Jesus said it would be. It's deficient, right? And, and, but if you're controlled by the Spirit of God, you're delighting in the things of God. Even while you're struggling. You're preoccupied with with what the Spirit is preoccupied with in order to please God, you are, you are minding the gospel. You know, we should be following our, our leader's preoccupation. Jesus is the, is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our leader. We, we say all the time as a church, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. We want to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are things the Spirit of God is preoccupied with. These are things the Spirit is preoccupied with. No one, the Bible tells us, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would glorify him. The Spirit is sent into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Making disciples of Christ, that's a Spirit-filled pursuit. Sacrificially serving Jesus, that's something the Spirit inspires and enables. If you're a Christian today, and you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, God wants you to seriously mature in Christ and then help others grow and help others know him. He doesn't want you to stagnate. I remember one of my kids once when they were little, they saw some water, and I think she said, it's stagnated. You know? Mosquitoes are growing in it or whatever. You don't want to stagnate, okay? You don't want to stagnate in your, in your life. If you're not sharing your faith in Christ, if you're not reading your, the Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not helping other people grow in Christ, you stagnate, all right? You get stuck. The process God has you on right now as a believer assumes progress in Christ as you yield to him. It, it, you trust God's uh, work, his protection, his, his provision, his, his promises. You think on the right things. You, you train your mind for action. You allow the Spirit of God to recalibrate your heart around the Word of God and what he wants. You want your mindset on the Spirit on the things from the Spirit, of the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit. Life and peace and glory and growth and fruitfulness and obedience and forgiveness and love and repentance. God has given us every good thing pertaining to life and godliness. So you want to love God. You want to preach the gospel. You want to help people grow in Christ. You, you want to do that. You want to, you want to worship him in your life. You want to evangelize. You want to disciple people. You want to trust. You want to obey. You want to wrap your mind up in these things. You want to say whatever is praiseworthy and excellent and right and true, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable and noble, I want to think about those things. And when my, when my mind wanders... I call it back. I focus my energies and my affections and my attention on what is good and God-honoring. And God just floods your heart with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you have actually a sense of purpose in your life. And you don't stagnate. 
Because you love Jesus so much that you get really preoccupied with what God is preoccupied with. Lord, we thank you that even if our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts and you know all things. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You are able to accomplish what concerns us today and forever. And the process you have us on is precious because the cost was. We thank you, Lord, that the blood of Christ shed in our place on the cross for our life. Thank you that, that Christ's preoccupation was coming to earth and setting his face toward Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your, your preoccupation now is, is in interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. That your preoccupation right now is preparing a place for us. You are the king that we celebrate today. You are the king we follow. You are the king we worship and adore. And even now, Lord, we, we're going to we're gonna continue communing with you. And I trust, Lord, that you have prepared our hearts to eat of the bread and drink of the cup and celebrate the life of Christ, celebrate his death on our behalf and remember him and set our minds on him.